Thank you for listening to a Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. What I thought I would do this morning is bring everybody up to speed before we get into Romans chapter 4. If you do have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, so if you flip halfway open and then kind of look about halfway in the middle, so three quarters of the way through the whole Bible, you get to the book of Romans, and we're finishing up chapter 4 this morning. But I quickly wanted to bring an update, bring you up to speed on, on the whole book itself and what the message of Romans is. Every religious scheme in the world uh, has a way to be right with God. There's a scheme, there's a system, there is a list of do's and a list of don'ts. There is a process towards this word called salvation. And if you do what you're supposed to do and if you don't do the things you're not supposed to do, maybe at the end of your life, after you die, you will have qualified yourself to be right before God. You have qualified yourself to be saved. The book of Romans completely demolishes that understanding and that worldview of salvation. Christianity is the only religion in the world that justifies a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, on the front end of the faith. You don't have to wait till you die to know if you're right before God or not. And the whole point of Romans is that Jesus came to do for sinners what sinners cannot do for themselves. And so we've been talking about in the first three chapters of, of Romans and into chapter 4 about the law of God, about how holy God's law is, and in light of how God, holy God's law is, the predicament that the human being is in. And the human predicament in light of God's law is that we can't do it. It exposes us as people who break law, as law breakers. And so it's completely and diametrically opposed to any other religious scheme because it says that you can't do this. You cannot save yourself. You cannot earn a spot in heaven on your own by any way, shape, form, or fashion. And so the message of Romans comes with this otherworldly message that says that Jesus came to do for you what you were supposed to do, to fulfill God's law. And then he went to the cross and he died on the cross in the place of law breakers so that lawbreakers could receive an innocent verdict instead of a guilty verdict. And so that is the message of the book of Romans. And last week we talked about how the promise that God gave to Abraham rests, and the promise, therefore, that we get of being saved, of salvation, rests squarely on the firm foundation of God's grace and not on the law. Meaning, you and I, after we're converted are right with God and will always be right with God, not based on how we do in this life, but based on what Christ did in His life. And that promise, the guarantee of our salvation, rests squarely on the grace of God. And so today, we want to look at, specifically, the life of Abraham and ask the question, what did the faith of Abraham look like? And the sermon title this morning is, Faith on Fire. Faith on fire. Now that we are saved, now that we are in Christ, what are we fanning into flame? What should our life look like? What should faith of the believer look like? And that's what we need help with this morning. We need to ask for the Lord's help and trust that he's going to give it. So let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we need wisdom. God, I pray this morning that faith would be strengthened, that we would be unwavering, that we would trust in your promises to us, that we would not be fixated on the issues and the problems that face us each day, that we would not be fixated or stumble over even our sin, but we would believe you. We would trust in Christ. We would look to Jesus, and we would walk in this life looking to him day in and day out. Help us today. I trust that you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, within Christianity, there is always, there always is, from denomination to denomination to non-denominational church to non-denominational church, there are good, genuine, Bible-believing Christians who believe that they are in the in-crowd in Christianity. We're the ones who really have it. From church to church, maybe pockets of people in this church as well, where in our heart we think, well, we've really got it. And others are kind of lagging behind a little bit. Everybody, it seems, wants to be a radical Christian. A few years ago, there was a book written by David Platt, a fairly good book. On, on, it's called Radical. That was the name of the book. And everybody wanted to be radical. They just wanted, we're a radical Christian. And then a couple years ago, there was another pretty good book written called Not a Fan. I'm not a follower. I'm, 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 not, I'm not a fan. I'm a follower of Jesus. And everybody, so I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, I'm not a fan. No, no way. I'm a follower of Jesus. And it seems, whether it's the terminology, baptism with the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit, or if it's uh, I've got my theology and, and the ducks in a row, there always seems to be an in-crowd and an out-crowd. And there's a desire, it seems, in the life of most believers to be a world-changer and an earth-shaker. I want to be unique. I want to be the one who's really on fire. I don't want to be one of those you know, Christians that aren't on fire for the Lord, for goodness sake. They're really boring, and I don't want to be a boring Christian. I want to be on fire for God. I want to be passionate. I want to be on the front lines. I want to do the work of God and make a difference. And it's not, it's, it's funny that it, it really, when you kind of peel back the layers of that kind of mentality, it's not that people actually want to do those things or be those things, but they want to have credit for have doing or doing, have done or doing those things. Meaning, it's kind of like Mark Twain. He, he talked about uh, the classics, classic literature, Moby Dick, the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, Dan and I talked about that this week. Uh, Mark Twain said this about a classic. A classic is a book that everybody wants to have read, but nobody wants to actually read. I really want to have read that and to know about it, but nobody wants to pick up that brick and work through Moby Dick. We're too busy. Give me the cliff notes or the children's version, for goodness sake. I think it's the same thing with being a world changer. People want to be known as being someone who's a mover and a shaker. Being some, want to be known as being somebody who's radical, but don't want to do the everyday, ordinary work to get there. And so let me give you and provide with, like, for you this morning an alternative. An alternative to being radical, alternative to being a next level super Christian, a super apostle in the in crowd. Let me just give you something that's, that's radically Radically different, but no less radical. It's actually more radical. And if you do this one thing, if you do this just, I mean, it really is simple. If you do this one thing, you'll go against the current of the world. If you do this one thing, you will stand out like a sore thumb. You will be unique. If you do this one thing, you will see this earth changed eventually. 
However, if you do this one thing, there is a cost. There will be ridicule. There will be ridicule. There will be slandering to your name. You will be misunderstood. You will be evangelized by all the tolerant crowd, the tolerant cool kids who accept anything except the Bible. It's going to cost you this one thing. The faith of Abraham. What, what in the world is that? This one thing, it's going to cost you, but it comes with great, great, great reward. And here it is. A big thing. Here it is. You want to be an earth shaker and a world changer. Here it is. Believe God's word and live accordingly. Believe God's word and live accordingly. Well, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Well, it is. And remember, the fact has already been established, as I said just a few minutes ago, that we are justified by grace through faith and not by works of the law. The promise of your salvation, of you being kept, rests on God's grace and not by the works of the law. So let's kind of zero in and let's look at the faith of Abraham and look at this faith on fire. What did it look like? What did it look like in just ordinary life? And how can we walk in the same faith as Abraham. Look at verse 18 in chapter 4. Actually, we'll just read all the way down through verse 25 and then go back to verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Abraham believed God's word. Look at verse 18 again. In hope, he believed. Abraham believed. In hope, Abraham believed. Now, Abraham is the father of the faith. I mean, he is, he is the father of other religions even. People claim Abraham. Abraham is a pretty well-known guy. And here's what was so astounding about this man named Abraham. When God gave Abraham faith, Abraham expressed it. He believed God. Abraham believed the word of the Lord. He just simply believed God when God told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. When God told him that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his seed, eventually through Jesus, we are told that Abraham believed God. God spoke, Abraham believed. And what Abraham believed, is, interestingly enough, was absolutely impossible. He, believe, he believed something that was naturally impossible. Based on the information that he had, based on the things that were right in front of him, what he believed, what God said to him, was absolutely impossible. But he believed it. It was against all hope, meaning naturally there was no hope for what God said to, was going to come true to come true. God said this is going to happen, and based on everything he saw... All the evidence pointed to the contrary. If this was going to be true, God would have to do something. 
If this was going to be true, God would have to show up. If this was going to be true, God would have to do the impossible. Because there's absolutely no way through the natural lenses of this world and through him just looking at the situation, he could say, well, yeah, okay. He believed God against all hope. There was no hope for this to happen. None. And Abraham believed. And, and if, if it was going to happen, God would have to do it. Well, why? Why was it against all hope? And we, we are given two really big reasons. Number one, we're told that Abraham was so old that he was as good as dead. Now, I love this. The Bible doesn't just try to be nice about how old Abraham was. If there's any hundred-year-olds out here, I'm sorry. Uh, but Abraham, being hundred years old, was called as good as dead. You know, there was no nicety about, you know, you're, you're aging nicely or something like that. A Abraham was so old that he might as well have been dead. I mean, he's that old. And I don't know if you know this, but the older you get, energy levels kind of, I can already tell. I'm just, I'm just halfway through my 30s, and I can tell that I've got a little bit less energy, a little bit, than when I was 25. And I've heard that when you're 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, there's a, a little bit more energy depletion. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've just heard. I imagine being 100 years old, you, you don't have tons of energy. Even in that day, even though Abraham lived to be 175, I, I think he probably had uh, not a lot of energy. Okay, And past his prime uh, to do things that, that men do that end up procreating. Okay? And she was past her prime as well. And not only past her prime, her womb was closed. So these two big things, we see it right here. He did not weaken as he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about as 100 years old, 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. These two big obstacles were in the way. And here's what Abraham did. It's, it's, it's funny. He, he just looked at these obstacles and he considered them. He didn't ignore them. He didn't act like they didn't exist. He considered them face to face, eye to eye. And he thought about it. How's this going to happen? I'm old. My wife is old. We don't have any babies yet. How in my seed are there many nations? How, how will this happen. And he looked at the obstacles, but he didn't weaken in faith as he considered them. So he thought about it. He used his mind and he thought about these two big obstacles and it didn't weaken his faith. I find that interesting. Instead, he believed God's word. He didn't ignore the difficulties, but he believed what God said. The obstacles did not capture his attention and his heart. God did. The obstacles that were real obstacles to be considered did not capture his mind and his heart. God's word did. God is the God who can do the impossible after all. Is that right? I mean, you're saved and that's impossible. And if you're not saved, you can be by the grace of God. He didn't ignore reality. He didn't just act like, well, I'm not going to think about it. I'm, I'm old. I'm just not going to think about it. And I'm just going to trust God. I'm not going to consider these facts about my, bear, my wife's barrenness and, and my old age. He looked at it square in the face and he said, I, I don't care. God told me. And I believe it. God spoke, and he did not fixate on what the problems were, but what God had said. And so how did this faith, I mean, how did he, instead of crumbling, 
as he considered these things? How did he grow strong? How did he look at this and believe God's word instead? Well, in verse 20, we're told that he glorified God. And he grew strong in his faith by glorifying God. There was a pattern in Abraham's life of worship. And not just worship like singing, although that is included. But look at verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. No unbelief concerning the promise. And we'll see in a minute that he did have some confusion on the how. How is this going to happen? If you read through the book of Genesis, about through verse 50, chapters 15, up through verse chapter 22 or 3, you'll see that he was confused about how this is going to happen. Okay, the how. But not that it would happen. He was fully convinced that God was going to come through. And no unbelief concerning that promise made him waver. He knew God would do this. He was fully convinced, I know that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know God will do this. If he said it, I can take it to the bank. And he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And I think this is a key for us. He grew strong in his faith. And this is where I want to kind of fan the faith that God has given us into flame. Just into our heart. He grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God. The more we as people glorify God, the stronger we become. The more we glorify God, the stronger we become. Now to be fair, Christian strength does not mean you walk around acting like nothing is ever wrong or nothing is ever wrong with you. We know that Christian strength includes, like the Apostle Paul, being able to boast in our weaknesses. Only the strong can really admit how weak they are. The strong person is not the one that just simply beats their chest and says, I got this. The strong, according to God's word, is the one who says, I know I don't have this, but God does, and I believe him. And he glorified God by, he, he grew strong in his faith by glorifying God. And so I think there's some keys. How do we actually glorify God? Because for me, when I think about glorifying God, it kind of gets a little fuzzy. Because again, it's kind of like those words justification and redemption and sanctification and glorification. All these big and glorious words. We start thinking about these things. We have different thoughts that are going on. So when you hear give glory to God, one person is hearing singing to God on a Sunday morning. And somebody else, they hear, give glory to God. They're thinking about fasting through the week, or they're thinking about becoming a monk, or they're thinking about uh, moving to the mission field. And that's the only way, if I just move to Africa in a place that doesn't speak English, that would be God glorifying. So what does it mean to glorify God? I mean, practically, how did he grow strong in his faith as he glorified God? And I just want to give us some real tangible, practical things to think through. Number one, we can... Glorify God by actually singing to God. That is one way that we can glorify God. The people of God have always been a singing people because we have something to sing about. A few months ago, I got to visit a church, and it looked, there was no drums or anything like that. There was just a, a baby grand. It may have been a grand. I, what's the difference between a baby grand and a grand? Is it just the size? Okay, it's probably a grand knowing this church. So a big piano up there. 
And there was one guy that singing, and, and me and a group of guys were, were at this, this conference, and, and uh, they, you know, said, open your hymnal, and so we pulled out the hymnal, and, you know, I'm, I'm growing more and more to love conferences that are, you just open a hymnal. It's just, it's, I love that. But open a hymnal, and, you know, we, there's my friend Brian was standing by this older gentleman, and, and the, the song leader said, turn to, to page 289, and he said, 289, and, and the older gentleman said, I know 289. <laughs> and, uh, and so the singing started, and, you know, we kind of thought it would be like a typical hymnal sing, and it was, you know, you know, you kind of just put your shoulders up, you look, you know, real, it's like kind of feels dead a little bit in there. And you would not believe the singing. It was like Marty McFly standing in front of Doc's speaker, the beginning of Back to the Future. Remember that? It was like stood there, and as soon as it went, you know, and he goes flying back. I mean, we, our row, I mean, we were standing there as they were just singing their, their literal guts out, and we were holding, like, onto that pew. Just it was, it was crazy. But the people of God sing. And you know what I love about you guys and gals? We sing. The church gathering, when we come together, it's, it is not about, so Andy, I love Andy and our team because they understand rightly, and Andy has taught me so much of this, that they are leading us in congregational singing. They are supplementing us. The music supplements the singing to God. And one way we can glorify God is when we lead, read those words, think about them, sing them. Thank God for his grace and his mercy to us. Take seriously the singing and let our kids see us singing. You say, well, I don't sing very good. Neither do I, and you can ask my wife. It does not stop me. <laughs> and, and stop singing. Jared, goodness, you've been singing for four hours straight. We can glorify God by singing to him, but we can also glorify God by believing God's word. Believe God's word. Believe what his word says. In our day, more and more, we are opposed. The sexual, Christian sexual ethic is opposed. The Christian belief in moral truth across the board, no matter who you are, and not just scientific truth, is wildly offensive now to general population. Watch TV, any reality show. And, you know, not that I do that. Uh, <clears throat> But see people speak, and you've heard me talk about this before, watch your truth, live your truth, find your way. To be able to come across to somebody and say, hey, listen, there is a truth, and it's your responsibility to bend your life to it. To repent, to deny yourself and follow Jesus by the grace of God. That is not popular even in Christian circles. Let's just encourage one another and pat each other on the back and give each other a high five and yell a few hurrahs and go on our way. That's not how we glorify God. We glorify God by looking at God's word and believing what God's word has to say. We believe God. Number three, everyday life, we can glorify God by just whatever we're doing, doing it in the right way. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you eat, drink, or do, do all to the glory of God. You know what that means? When you're eating, give glory to God. When you're drinking, responsibly or anything, give glory to God. When you're doing something, give glory to God. Isn't it remarkable how easy that is to understand? So when you eat food, Jordan and I were going on our anniversary trip. It's our ninth anniversary. Nine years. We're going to go out to eat tonight. Cape Girardeau. 
top of the Marriott, you know? <laughs> and we're going to be there, seriously. We're going to be at Cape Girard, top of the Marriott. You might see some Instagram pictures of it, maybe, I don't know. We'll be eating up there. And you know what? Every bite, I just want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy my wife. And each bite and the flavor, and it may not be, I'm not talking about a tyranny of every single bite having to stop and say, thank you, God, I glorify you. I'm not talking about being a weirdo, okay? But I am talking about just, my goodness, enjoy life and the gifts that God has given you. Glorify him by enjoying the gifts that he has given you. And so I'm going to take every bite of that burger, and I'm going to enjoy every bite, and I'm going to look at my wife, and we're going to laugh, and we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about our family, talk about what's going on in our church, and we're going to enjoy it. And you know what? God's going to be honored. That's simple. You can go to lunch today. Go home and make your lunch. Enjoy your family and give glory to God, enjoying the food that's going in your mouth and to your belly. And what, whatever you drink, if coffee is your drink, if tea is your drink, if water, some people like water, for goodness sake, if water is your drink, Drink it and enjoy it to the glory of God. And whatever you're doing, do it the right way. You know, there's always an easy way. I've learned this from my, my, my father-in-law's touch. Thank you, Dennis. I've learned so much from him. But there's always an easy way to do something and a right way to do something. There's a quick way to do something, just, just temporary fix, and then there's a right way to do something. You know how we can glorify God with what we do? Do something the right way. Just do it the right way. There are times that I'm working with Ryan, and last week it was like this. I put, I accidentally put an older loaf of bread closer, and I, I got done, and I was going to walk away, and I was thinking, that's not right. I went back, <laughs> put the loaf of bread where it needed to be, and then put that, so anyways, that's, you're welcome. And I put the newer, I put the fresher loaf behind, and so, and then the older loaf in front. And I'm, I'm learning this because there's so often that I do things not the right way. I don't glorify God with what I do. I'm lazy. And one of the things we can do in our life is just slowly, what am I doing right now? Here's how I can glorify God. And as we glorify God in just small, simple, everyday tasks, as we're wiping our children's rear end, as we're taking care of them, as we're feeding them, as you are being responsible in the workplace, as you are taking care of grandchildren, as you're being a neighbor and a friend or a spouse, as you're being nice, we grow strong in the faith as we're giving glory to God because whatever we eat, drink, or do, we're doing to the glory of God. It's not that hard, friends. Just honor God today. What's the rest of your day look like today? And what would it look like by the grace of God to to take your hands and do the best you possibly can with whatever you're doing. Everyday life. As we live our lives, not for ourselves, but for God's purposes, as we surrender our way, our plans, me, 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 and we say, you, 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 God, tell me how to live my life. As we do that, by the grace of God, we are growing strong. As we deny ourselves, we grow strong. We glorify God by doing that and by taking up our cross and following Jesus. And now notice what this leads to. I love this. As Abraham grew, grew strong in the faith, as he gave glory to God, look what it leads to in verse 21. Verse 21, he's fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. As the small fire can get fanned into flame. If you came in here this morning and you feel like you're holding on, I mean barely holding on. You feel like that 
I'm so glad that it's God who is holding on to me and me who's not holding on to him because I just feel like I can't hold on this morning. If you feel like you need more faith this morning, ask him. And maybe by the grace of God this morning, the Holy Spirit just kind of just... And faith just builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and builds until it's a raging, raging fire. And I want to fan your faith into the faith of Abraham this morning. That we are fully convinced. I know that I know that I know that God is able to do what he has promised to do. And I want us fully convinced that he is able to do what he has promised to do in our lives. Now this promise to Abraham is not something that we can just say and kind of rip out and then say, well, God has promised me this in this lifetime. I remember a woman one time, her, her, her son was a, a paraplegic and she felt like that God told him in this lifetime, God would heal her heal him. And God never did in this lifetime. And she was sorrowful day after day after day. God, when we talk about the promises of God, I'm not talking about an extra biblical promise that you believe God spoke to your heart. What is God, what are the rock solid promises of God that he gave to Abraham that Abraham believed? And then what is the one to one for us, what are the promises of God that we can take to the bank and just rest fully assured as we're day by day living life to glorify God? What is the faith? What, what is this faith toward? What's it directed toward? Is it that God is going to give me the life that I want him to give me? Is it that I can give my dreams to God and then if I just obey each day, I watch all of my dreams just come to fruition? Now, for some people, that happens. But that is not promised. What is promised to us? Well, some marvelous things. Things that are a whole lot better than my dreams and the way I want my life to go. It's things that are way better than I could imagine or come up with. Two things in particular. What are we promised? Jordan and I have been talking about this for a while. What are the promises of God? What are the ones that we can just take to the bank? And number one, we've been talking about it in Romans. Here are the promises. I'm going to talk about two specifically. But number one... Your salvation. This is what Abraham believed. He believed that the Messiah would come. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was, quote, unquote, saved. He was counted righteous. God's promise to the believer is, starts with the promise of our salvation being secure in Christ. If you are in Christ, he has blessed you according to Ephesians chapter 1, not with every physical blessing yet... Every physical blessing in the heavenly places is coming your way in time, including the new body we all want. It's coming. But every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places right now, presently, has been given to you. And Ephesians 1 goes on to unpack these spiritual blessings. They're marvelous. And we know that we are chosen by God or predestined by God, called by God, saved or converted Born again, justified by God, adopted by God, sanctified by God, and we will be glorified by God. And friends, you can take it to the bank. And I want you to be fully convinced that what God started in you, he will finish in you. 
And you may look and see obstacles. You may look at your life. You may see difficulties in your way. You may look at your performance that feels lackluster. And you may think, man, why am I not farther? I talked about this last week at the beginning of the sermon. You missed it. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But you, you may be thinking, I've been walking with the Lord for 25 years. And why am I, why am I in this place? Why, why am I in this place of sorrow or doubt? My goodness, why am I in a place of doubt now? And this morning, I want you to be dislodged of that and to look again, not at the obstacles that are in front of you. Not, Sarah is barren, and Abraham is as good as dead. And as you look at your life and think, I am floundering, stop looking at that and trust God. Because he declares over you truths that you are his, and he will finish what he started in you. You may say, I don't have the strength to endure, but he does. I don't have the strength to go on tomorrow and the next day. Yeah, but you're in the hand of the living God. That's okay. You don't have strength. When we are weak, he is strong. Friends, look away from our stinking selves and look to the glorious Christ, your Savior. Trust Him. Love Him. He has you. Your Heavenly Father has you in His hand, gripped. And Jesus Himself has you in His hand, gripped. You are safe. Well, there's a storm in my life. Jesus is with you on the boat. I don't know what to do. He does. I don't know if I'm going to survive. He's promised you eternal life. Look to Him. Number one, your promises. The promise that God has given you is that you are safe in Christ. You are saved. Number two, He has promised material needs in this life. Material needs in this life, He has promised. Matthew chapter, chapter 6, 25 to 32. Again, I want us to be fully convinced, like Abraham was, of the promise of God. And the promise to Abraham was of future lands. It included material promises along with spiritual promises. And material and spiritual promises are still upon God's people today and upon you. God will take care of your needs. I promise you He will. Because He promises He will. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read this whole thing. Imagine you standing hearing Jesus say this. And you think about the trials and difficulties in your life. And I want you to just think about those trials and difficulties. And then think about Jesus, his actual words, telling you, in light of your difficulties and struggles and, and turmoil and inner conflict and marital conflict and work conflict and friends and family conflict, all of those things, I want you to hear Jesus saying this to you. All the things we can complain about. My kids aren't doing and living the way I want them to live and do. My parents aren't living the way I want them to live. My father, for goodness sake, I need to hear this. There's crazy things going on in, in my family with him. And here comes along Jesus. And hear what Jesus says to you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What? Now, there's two kinds of anxiety. There's sinful and non-sinful anxiety. There's sinful and non-sinful depression. And we need to know the difference. But some of us have blamed, this goes two ways. Some of us have thought what is physiological in our mind, in our body, is spiritual. 
and what we need is medication. And others have thought, well, this is physical, and what we need is repentance. Because Jesus tells us to not be anxious about anything. There is a type of anxiousness that is sinful. And there's a type of anxiousness that is not sinful. But if we just label anxiety as just a social disorder, we miss some real truth. And I think you can miss some freedom you can walk in. The body is not just material. It's spiritual. We are whole beings, body and soul. And Jesus comes to us, to the anxious heart, and to all of us in this room, and says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. And so we stop, we look out, we see a bird. We have blue jays and red birds at our house, and we'll look at a bird. And we just consider the bird, and we look at a bird. And they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Anybody ever seen a, and there are bird houses. And probably some bird barns out there that are built, usually by retired gentlemen. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't have warehouses full of food. Every worm that's wiggling on the street after a rain, that a bird flies down and gets, and you see that bird get that, that's God feeding that bird. Every bird. You know how many billions of birds there are in the world, and God feeds every single one of them? Every one of them. Are you of not more value than they? You're more valuable than the birds. And God has given you promises. As surely as he feeds that bird with the worm, he'll take care of you. He'll provide for your needs. Clothes on your back. Food in your belly. He'll take care of you. Great question. And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that, all, that you need all of them. Now, how many flowers are there in the world? How many lilies are there in the field? And as, I, as we take our mind and we actually use, put our thinking caps on, and we think about lilies in the field, and we say they're beautiful, and God takes care of them. And we should know we are more valuable, just like we're more valuable than the birds, we're more valuable than the flowers in the field. And God will take care of what we need. He provides for our needs, not only in this life, but also in the next life. So what are we to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Some of you might be anxious about tomorrow. Actually, Monday of 2019. Somebody might be anxious about tomorrow right now. 
And here is Jesus just telling you, hey, you don't need to be. I got this. Don't be anxious about Monday. I've got it. Tomorrow will be anxious enough for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own trouble. You can't add years to your life through worry and anxiety. Instead of looking and fixating on the problems, look to Christ. Look to Jesus. These two promises, the promise that was to Abraham including spiritual and physical, and for us, this promise is also physical or spiritual and physical. You are spiritually saved, and that includes your body, your physical body, and you will be physically taken care of, every one of us. And so I want us to follow in the footsteps of Abraham and believe God's word. And as we who believe that Christ is the center of all of the Bible, we believe that all the Bible is about Christ, we need to be careful that we don't think it's wrong to say, be like Abraham. Abraham isn't Jesus. He had faith in Christ. And it is okay, as we look at brothers and sisters in Christ living in our midst, there are people in here that I want to encourage you to say, be like them. Be like them. Be like them. Learn from them. Grow from them. And just like with Abraham, Abraham is not Christ, but we should want to be like him. And we should have faith by the grace of God, faith in God, like Abraham had faith in God. God will take care of me. He's got me. He will provide. Now, verse 22 through 24, look with me. We'll see about this salvation. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Abraham, as we have been talking, was counted righteous. Even when he would go on in his life to sin, he was still counted as righteous. Even when we are not actually righteous, we are counted and declared righteous. And that was not just for Abraham, it's for our ears to hear as well. It's not just to go in one ear and out the other, it's for our ears as well. We need to know it. It is for us. Unless we forget from chapter to chapter, lest we think that Paul has forgotten the gospel, we've been hammered over the head with it week after week after week. And here we go again, the hammer comes down on our head in the best and most glorious sort of way again. We are called to believe that even when actual righteousness seems to evade us, when sanctification and spiritual growth is slow, because of the faith that we have in Christ, we are still counted righteous. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even with indwelling sin, we are counted righteous. Plant that flag in the ground today. By the grace of God, believe it, count on it, take it to the bank, Remind yourself of it. Preach to yourself day in and day out. I am in Christ, and by the grace of God, I am counted righteous today. God's favor is upon me. But why, why do we have to believe in Jesus and not simply God or higher truth or whatever else we want. Why, why is it Jesus? Verse 25 tells us. 24b through 25. It will be counted to us who believe in him. Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Who was delivered up for our trespasses. And raised for our justification. 
belief has to be in Christ because no other system in the world proclaims to anyone anything about human transgressions being taken away and done with. No other religious scheme in the world says you can have all your sins taken away right now. None. And the basic tenets of the Christian faith says, yes, you can. All of them, done with, nailed to the cross, finished. Why does faith have to be directed at Jesus? Because he does away with our sins. We are to set our belief in Christ because he was delivered up for our transgressions. We transgressed, he was killed for it. We transgressed, he was killed for it. We transgressed, we deserve to be killed for it. He was killed for it. He died in our place, was raised for our justification. The guilty verdict came down on him, so the not guilty verdict would come down on us. And friends, as surely as Christ is raised from the dead, you are forgiven of your trespasses. If he was raised for our justification, I just have one question for you. Is Jesus alive today? Is Jesus alive today? Then your sins are forgiven. If you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. As sure as he lives, your sins are nailed to the cross and done away with. And I want you to believe that today. I want you to believe God's word. I want you to believe that this is true. That's about as radical as you can get, believing that you're saved by another. That is, that's faith being on fire. You want to change the world, believe this. Believe God. It's not that hard. You want to see God work, trust in Christ. Believe God's word as Abraham did. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are exceedingly kind. Thank you for your grace. I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, they would, they would believe, as Abraham did, the promises of God, your promises. I ask that you would grant repentance and that people would run to you. And I pray for anybody else who's dealing with, with things today in the realms of just spiritual assurance or, or struggling to believe that, God, you're going to provide for us materially in the needs that we have. Then, God, I pray that you would encourage them to not be fixated on ourselves or the problems, but I pray you would turn our attention to Jesus and we would hear Jesus say, don't worry about it. You're more valuable than the birds. You're more valuable than the lilies in the field. And that we would be encouraged this morning. Help us. Help us to sing. We trust that you will.